This is Healthcare Now Radio's Trending Now. Get ready for an exhilarating 30-minute ride through the latest topics driving change in digital health across the news and social media. Join us as our subject matter host takes the lead in uncovering what's hot and what's not. So buckle up and tune in to stay in the know. Welcome to Trending Now on Healthcare Now Radio, where we explore the forefront of healthcare innovations and transformations. I am, as usual, your host, Shahid Shah. Today, we're thrilled to have Daniel Brody, CTO and co-founder of Cynerio. What's trending now and what Daniel and I will discuss is the rising number and impact of cyber attacks on healthcare. It's something that we've been talking about quite a bit uh, on the station. The effects on patients, finances, facilities, all the evolving protections that we're trying to do are all very, very important. And so trying to figure out uh, how do we quantify this? How do we actually prevent it? Those are the kind of big things that we're going to talk about uh, today. So with that, uh, welcome, Dan. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and uh, where you spend most of your time thinking about these uh, crucial issues. Thank you. Uh, So I'm Daniel Brody, CTO of uh, co-founder of Scenario. We are a company that's focused on healthcare cybersecurity. And um, I spend most of my time uh, uh, as a CTO. It gives me the benefit of working with our customers and not have to worry about the finances and can only worry about uh, the technology and kind of the value that we give our customers and hearing their stories and kind of their, uh, uh, the work they're doing in the trenches in terms of healthcare cybersecurity. Awesome. Well, this is going to be a great conversation. So let's start about let's start talking about some of the unobvious reasons why cyber attacks in healthcare are becoming more frequent and more severe. Is it convenience? Is it because the value of the data is higher? And uh, just start there, and then we're going to weave that into day to day practical matters at uh, some of the facilities in healthcare that you're working with. Yeah. So uh, I think there, there's two sides to that. The first one is a lot of cybersecurity attacks at the end of the day operate very similar to businesses in the sense that they want to get value, right? The monetary value that they want to get from these attacks, and they don't want to spend a lot of time and effort into getting these attacks. And cybersecurity and healthcare cybersecurity specifically, because of the high value of EPHI, because of the high value of downtime for healthcare organizations and um, their, uh, uh, their willingness to pay money to remove that downtime and to be more available, uh, combined with the fact that it's very easy to get into a lot of healthcare organizations, they're they're very susceptible to attack, means that that value is that makes them a very easy target. And, and the reason they're they're so vulnerable to attack is because they end up being in kind of at an epicenter of three different overlapping circles. They're very critical um, in terms of their connectivity. Uh, for their ability to function as a business. They have a very high amount of connectivity, right? If you're comparing that to other verticals, such as a, a power station, where all the critical stuff are usually separated off into a completely separate network, and it's very easy. Here, the way the doctors connect to the uh, MRIs and the data gets pushed over to Epic or to whatever EMR they're using and so forth, I means there's a high connectivity. And lastly, there's a lot of specialty technology, older technology, unmaintained technology, and that kind of means that healthcare has a very soft belly for cybersecurity attacks. It makes it very difficult for the cybersecurity personnel in healthcare to protect themselves. Yeah, that uh, definitely paints a a pretty concerning picture. 
So what do you think are some of the, and I hate to say it this way, but you know, the low hanging fruits, things that people can actually do something about, because you can't change the network uh, connectivity and other requirements. So you got to do sharing. You have to be able to do your day-to-day work, but what are some of the things that people can do practically speaking uh, that they could do to actually improve cybersecurity without just saying, well, we have to stop business as usual. Yeah, so I, I think the first piece is, is visibility, getting an understanding of what they have, what the gaps are, uh, and and tr- and starting to divvy out ownership and responsibility. There are a lot of low-hanging fruits when we work with hospital organizations, and, and a lot of times it's pretty daunting. You come in and you, you kick-started the cybersecurity project, you want to kind of improve your, your, your posture in your organization, and then you're terrified that it's going to be a three-year uh, project, and who knows if it'll be successful and what this will mean for your career. And it doesn't have to be that way. One of the uh, big things we push strongly with our customers is the ability to first get a wide visibility and then approach the lower-hanging fruits, the taking that one, th- those few really life-critical devices or those really critical from an availability perspective devices and being able to kind of protect them, whether it's working with a vendor, whether it's putting uh, uh, mitigating controls in place to protect them, each one of their own thing, whether it's even just changing default passwords, which is something which is so incredibly common. And just kind of working through those things at piecemeal, you can really take care of those um, 20% most critical risks without take, um, doing this huge project with a huge amount of resources. So what what does that look like? Uh, so if you said um, that you're just changing default passwords and uh, yeah, as a as a longtime medical device uh, um, engineer myself, we like one of the first things we do when people are supposed to buy our medical devices is there's you know line one says log in, change your admin password from ABC to XYZ, right? Why are some of those things uh, still not done? And how much do you are you able to come in and help with that low hanging fruit? without them having to pull their entire other staff members on it because the staff are already busy with a whole bunch of other things. So uh, I think there's two, I think the first question is, it's a question of ownership and processes. And I think at the end of the day, the place that's been a lot, uh, that's been very challenging for healthcare organization is the ownership of who owns this huge piece of cybersecurity in the in the healthcare organization. Is it the cybersecurity team? They don't know anything about MRIs. They don't know anything about the different information systems. For them, it's just stuff on the network. The other side of things are the biomed or HTM or uh, uh, kind of call different things depending on how mature the different organizations. They don't know anything about security. And even if they want to go ahead and move ahead and and kind of do those cybersecurity processes, uh, even changing passwords, they don't really know to say what should be done, how it should be done. They don't have the knowledge or the experience to do that. So it's ended up fi- um, falling between the cracks. And that's kind of why it's been neglected for so long. And the change that we're seeing slowly happening across the industry is as more and more people are brought in to either be uh, a, connect- uh, a connector between these two different positions, uh, the cybersecurity and the biometer HTM, and kind of allowing to run the project and pull in the relevant people from the relevant teams as needed. Or the other side of it is sometimes putting those two teams much closer to one another. We've seen some organizations put the HTM under IT next to cybersecurity rather than putting them under operations. And there's pros and cons of the healthcare, but like I'm going to talk about it from a cybersecurity perspective, obviously there's strong benefits to that happening. And then there's an alignment of um of kind of of how the work that needs to happen in the organization. Um, and there's alignment of, of goals that they want to achieve. 
once that happens, then working with the healthcare organizations usually becomes much easier and we can move ahead and show the, the organization here are some actions can be done from a device level perspective for the people who are doing the device level actions. Here are places where device level actions can't be done. And then it will fall as a sole responsibility for uh, uh, the more security team to put mitigating controls in place. And then some organizations say, we just want to be ahead of the game and just make sure that they have, um, you know, th they're thinking ahead when the, the future vulnerabilities in those medical devices look like. And then as well, right, you can sit with those two teams, sit together, prioritize the different departments, and then the HTM team can say, hey, this department is really critical for our ability to provide care for our organization. So again, like I said earlier, instead of going ahead and doing this huge project, let's just focus on this devices, because this is where we as an organization are prioritizing criticality, either from a patient safety perspective, from a patient confidentiality perspective, or a service availability perspective. Um, and then from there, you can move forward and, 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 get, and get that quick wins uh, done quicker. No, I love that uh, practical nature of the advice. So if is it possible that you, from whether it's your company or other vendors in the field, there's a lot of practical advice that's already laid out, right? So like you said, come in, first focus on the medical devices, change the default password, second, look at XYZ, third, look at ABC. Are those well-established enough to where you could say, all right, call us in, and in 30 days, we'll give you a snapshot of where you are today, where your biggest risks are. And during that 30 days, you can actually start to mitigate real problems or is it much, much longer phase than that? So it's funny to say that we just had a, we had a whole initiative last year, exactly saying what, uh, what you said, right? Where we would come in, we'd have a kind of security health check where we would be able to find any critical attacks. We sadly found quite a few times attacks in the healthcare organization that the healthcare organization was not aware of. We will find oh, really? Yeah, it, it was pretty scary. It was something that was like running apparently for close to a year and the healthcare organization didn't know about it. And we were deployed in, we detected it very quickly and we were able to help them remediate something that was a, a long-standing attack in the organization. Um, somebody who was connecting remotely using, a, I don't know if it was VNC or RDP, but some remote uh, connectivity uh, uh, server to an, um, um, a Windows that was a, a medical device and using that to do all kinds of things in the organization. So um, there's that piece. The second piece is finding um, a vulnerable uh, information systems in the organization that have high amounts of EPHI data that might be vulnerable. Again, we've found organizations which even had some of these open to the internet, which was very scary to see and, and was we were helped them to avoid a very severe uh, fine around making sure that, that information stays in the organization. And then lastly, as you mentioned, right, where are the critical risks, where are the low-hanging fruit? Then give them to that as a report where they can say, oh, okay, so if I want to move ahead, <clears throat> not only with buying our solution, and that's a small piece, but kicking off a cybersecurity project in the organization, what does that look like? Where are the critical risks? Do I have the manpower? For that? Do I have the resources for that? What else do I need to kick that off? And then we can have that discussion with them and share with them the experience that we've had with other organizations and kind of depend, which is, it depends on a lot of things, depending on the amount of resources a team has. Sometimes there's barely any HTM, HTM team or barely any cybersecurity team. That means those low hanging fruits kind of change based on the organization. Some organizations are bigger and have more infrastructure in place. Some organizations are smaller and then it's easier to be agile and kind of do the things that might be harder in a big organization. And so th there's a little bit of changes and a little bit of health uh, um, customer dependent 
based on all these kind of characteristics that are that that are relevant for each customer, but then we can help and work with them together and build out how that looks like and how they can get to success with um, where we say 30 days to three months or 30 days after you actually are fully deployed and working, you've got a successful cybersecurity risk reduced in your organization. Oh, fantastic. Uh, so if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare Now Radio. This is Trending Now. I'm Shahid Shah, and I'm talking to Daniel, uh, CTO at uh, Cinerio. And we're discussing the significant threats and consequences of cyber attacks in the healthcare industry. He's already given us some really, really good advice uh, about how to look at low-hanging fruit. Don't think of all these projects as being really, really long-term. Do something quick. Uh, get it going because there are serious things that you can fix in hours and days, not weeks and months even. But within a few weeks, you can get things moving. So based on that same uh, discussion we were having about learning from other organizations, Talk about some of the like most common mistakes that institutions make when they talk about securing their premises, uh, either from cybersecurity or uh, any related digital threats. And why are these kinds of mistakes increasing the uh, ransomware and data breaches rather than uh, reducing them? So I think the biggest one is paying the ransom, right? So that's something that a lot of organizations, and, and it's completely understandable, uh, that organization where they feel their backs are, are up against the wall they end up paying the ransom to figure out how they can get back to full availability or trying to reduce their need to do fines for EPHI um, exfiltration, whether it's a service availability attack or a patient confidentiality type of attack. Uh, unfortunately, we can't go back in time. We can't reverse uh, people uh, cooperating, but there is uh, a strong need moving forward to make it clear that uh, ransom should not be paid. And there is... Uh, usually quite a bit of a, a, a healthy support from the government, FBI, and other of these types of organizations um, to help organizations do whatever they can possible and to not need to pay the ransom as well. Um, and, and I think that's critical moving forward to, to de-incentivize uh, um, the attackers from being able to do the attack because it won't be worth it for them if they're not going to get paid at the end of the day. Another piece is is sharing information. Organizations need to be able to be in a place where they can share their learned experience from these attacks. And sadly, as the amount of these attacks go up and and, re and more impact that is happening to organizations, the not enough of the information is being shared around, okay, so what, did, what should we have done differently? Even if it's how do we respond to an attack? And a lot of that information is is kind of relearned over and over again by each healthcare organization. That's something that's really important to change in the culture and making sure that there's no blame being put in place after an attack happened. And it's more open for people being able to share the mistakes. Another thing is relying only on traditional IT. A lot of, um, as, as cybersecurity people are being brought into the healthcare industry because there is sadly not enough cybersecurity people, uh, they are being a lot of experience in traditional IT solutions. And then they implement those traditional IT solutions. And then 50% of the hospital network is not traditional IT. And so you have this huge gap in the hospital's network from a cybersecurity perspective. And that is something that is critical to A, realize, and B, know that there are ways and, 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 and understood ways of how to handle that, but to not ignore it. Um, so the outer shell can be very, very strong in an organization, whether it's a firewall, the email protection, whatever it is, but the actual, um, once an attack goes through those outer shells and is, is in the hospital, um, there is a lot of very easy targets there, medical devices, information systems like PAC servers or whatever, there's a lot of EPHI, and that makes it hospital organizations very susceptible to the attack. 
And lastly, it's the speed of response. Because of this gap of knowledge, it means that if there is this, and we've seen this when one of the hospitals we've worked with, when um, they even did a shared webinar with us and were very open about sharing where they're uh, kind of the, some of the stuff that they learned working with us when they had an attack in their organization. And, and they had an attack on their network and we've seen this with other organizations and it can take sometimes at least a week, if not longer, until they are even aware that there's an attack and then they have to figure out what they're doing with it. And now there's a very expensive uh, healthcare de uh, device, uh, medical equipment in the organization, and it has some kind of attack or ransomware or some kind of malware on it. And their contact, they're trying to find who the device owner is. They get him. He contacts a vendor. They try to get back. They say, hey, if you want something, you need to pay for a service contract. They're debating whether to pay for the service contract. Meanwhile, the attack is still happening and it's spreading across the organization, right? Another customer we had with, we, we contacted them about the attack. It took them more than a month to respond from one radiology device that was impacted, they had 30. The impact to the organization was immense from a cost perspective, from the work effort perspective, but it just was too slow to respond. So you have to really have those things in place. And the way the industry in other verticals does that is by simulating attacks, right? Simulating, what do we do? How does our playbook look like? Let's simulate that. Let's make sure we know how to respond when, when an attack happens. Most healthcare organizations don't know how to respond when an MRI or, or a, a CT device or any one of those big expensive devices, an operating room um, gets impacted and that makes them also hesitant to take them offline because of cost perspective. And that just raises the cost significantly when such an attack happens. No, I love it. So those are lots of uh, very pointed practical uh, pieces of information. So let's peel back the onion on a few of them. You said uh, don't pay the ransomware um, uh, uh, ransom fee, I should say. Um, and if you don't pay the ransom, which is, of course, the same thing that the FBI law enforcement tells you is whatever you do, don't pay the ransom. Right. Uh, so that's that's pretty good advice. Tell me, just give us some stories about those. Uh, were there any scenarios where you saw somebody did pay the ransom and they did not get uh, their uh, data back or their um, uh, that they were released from the ransom attack? I think that's that, that, that's even not the worst case scenario. One of the examples that we've seen is when a an organization paid the ransom, the organization came back to be functioning, the attacker stayed in the organization, and then they were reattacked a couple months later for the same price and they were double dipped, right, on the ransom cost. And then they know they're already willing to pay. They know that they have hit they hit them quick enough. They probably don't have any more uh, uh, processes or things in play. They're just recovering from that previous attack. And they know that they're extremely vulnerable because they were impacted by an attack. So whatever financial cost or downtime cost they suffered, um, they're not going to be willing to suffer another downtime cost. And so it's a very lucrative target. And that's one of the main reasons not to pay ransomware is that there's you're, you're signaling to the attackers to attack you again. And on the dark web, this information is shared. People know, and uh, news agencies share this. And it's just, just waving a flag telling attackers to attack you again. No, I love that. Uh, and it, again, that's very practical in this sense is, uh, one, law enforcement tells you not to pay because they know all of these uh, things. Daniel's giving you very, very good examples. So if you're only going to get one thing from this uh, uh, interview today, take that to your board. Make sure that everybody understands that when this occurs, the first call is not to your banker to see if you have enough money to pay. The first call is literally to law enforcement. Now, one would think that, uh, you know, when you get broke, if, if if a room got broken in into a hospital, nobody says, should we call security or should we call the cops? 
But here, uh, lots of more money is at stake, but people don't often think about calling law enforcement as one of their first steps. Uh, so that's a very good piece of advice. Now, you mentioned, uh, uh, Daniel, that there are there's a big difference between normal IT outside of healthcare systems where you don't have specialized devices and the kinds of MRI, CT scans, et cetera, here. What does that look like in terms of hiring? Say you're about to hire a new CISO, you're hiring uh, for cybersecurity. Where do you go get these uh, cybersecurity folks outside of healthcare that might even be near uh, the kind of specialty stuff that happens in healthcare in case you can't find uh, healthcare-specific uh, cybersecurity people? I think that's a great question, and I wish I had an, a good answer for you, Shahid. <laughs> I think at the end of the day, uh, probably hiring from anywhere from the OT industry would bring people who are similar, but again, also there it depends on kind of the OT industry. Yeah, uh, tell people what is the OT industry and why? So OT, the operational uh, uh, technology industry, it usually means things like manufacturing, uh, facilities, power plants. Um, um, and, and things like that, that where there are some complicated devices, some complicated connectivity. Um, but I think at the end of the day, because the biggest challenge are not necessarily even, uh, if you're talking about the executive level, it's not necessarily even technology. There's a lot of multiple shared ownership. Then you just need somebody who has the ability to push forward projects in the organization and be open-minded about training, which is the most significant part because there's a lot of training involved for bringing people out of the industry into the industry with training, with learning what the market is. It's a very, very fast moving market in cybersecurity and healthcare. So making sure they understand and know what's going on and, uh, and can keep up with the new tools that are coming out and the new processes that are coming out. Listen, there, there's quite a lot of information. Uh, CISA um, released quite a lot of information on, on cybersecurity, the HICP for cybersecurity for healthcare, CSA have the whole thing on medical. There's a lot of information out there. You just have to figure out how you get people who are willing to, to and excited and interested to sit and learn and, and to how to implement these things in, in your organization. Yeah, so a lot of what you said scares most of us, which is, it's still a human problem, still requires a ton of training that you need to know and do the right things regularly. But you did mention some tools. So just in the last couple of minutes that we have, what are the emerging defenses against these cyber threats and what are the tools? How expensive might they run? Are they, are they difficult to implement? Or should you not really look at tooling first? Just focus on your humans first, because if you have good humans, the good humans will bring the tools in later. So I think it's a, it's a mix. At the end of the day, if, if you end up looking for bringing the, uh, the humans, um, taking the ownership, building the processes, building the organization, then bringing the tools, you're going to end up bringing the tools in five years, sadly. So you kind of have to run, because there is such a high rise in cybersecurity, you kind of have to do all the things at the same time. You have to bring the people, build out the, the, the processes, and bring in the tools and kind of... Uh, Hope, hopefully the things will align. If they don't align, then you change one of the others that you need to change as you kind of implement them. But that's maybe that's just my startup mentality speaking, but that's the way I see it, right? It's uh, you don't want a five-year project, you want to get something, at least something out the door as quickly as possible. And I think in that sense, the healthcare uh, world is getting more and more tools. Uh, like some of the things that we've been looking at recently, which uh, I feel is pretty cutting edge, is helping organizations better understand where their EPHI is in the network, um, um, hospital network. Most organizations don't know that. They don't know where their information systems are. They don't know where their EPHI is located. They don't know what's protected or unprotected. And there's quite a few tools out there. They're not incredibly expensive, but they're not a cheap 
$5,000 tool. They end up usually being a couple hundred thousand tool, uh, dollars for, um, for a tool which can cover a lot of different parts of the organization. Um, and again, depending on the size of the organization. And the last thing that I would recommend around that is trying to not bring in a lot of tools, but a small amount of high impact tools. Like I said, it's a lot of training, a lot of work to, to bring the people up to speed. So you want to make sure you're you're putting as much effort to the places that are as as critical as possible. So figuring out if you have, if you can bring in five tools which cover more need than 20 tools that cover each one of um, a separate piece, then th that's usually a higher driver for success in the organization. No, I love it. In fact, uh, uh, just before we uh, finish up today, tell, give us a little advice, like finish this sentence, which is be careful of hiring companies like ours, Cynerio or anyone else, because here are the common mistakes that they will make on the way in. So how should people select outside helpers just in a few seconds would be good? I think working with organizations that pass a smell test, right? If they are coming to you and they're saying, oh yeah, we'll get this done in three months flat, half a year, you'll you'll be completely done. It's very easy. It doesn't require a lot of effort. Nobody needs to put it there any effort or, or like th that doesn't pass a smell test. When you're bringing in an organization, they need to show that they know that they're coming into a complex organization uh, co uh, with complex processes and no simple solutions, and that they're willing to put the time and effort to help work through those processes in their customer success or in general, their company culture, right? So I think that, that would be a significant smell test to see that the organization actually understands what they're selling you and not just uh, uh, giving you a, a bunch of hot air in terms of uh, some magic bullets. Excellent. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for your insightful perspectives on the urgent need for this uh, cybersecurity measures in healthcare. Before we wrap up, any URL or other thing you want to share um, with our audience? So just uh, going to our website, uh, www.scenario.com. We have a lot of information there. We have in the release in, uh, in, in the section of the stuff that we're releasing, uh, we have quite a lot of webinars. Um, and papers and kind of white papers and, and, and research that we're doing that we're releasing. Some people find those very useful and very helpful in terms of kind of understanding where the, the direction the industry is going. Awesome. So, and to our listeners, as usual, thank you so much for joining us on Trending Now on Healthcare Now Radio for this uh, engaging discussion. Stay tuned for more episodes where we're going to explore the latest trends and innovation shaping healthcare's future, and we will see you next time. Thank you very much. It was, it was really good.